beauties. You are listening to the Beauty of the Nile podcast. I'm Jasmine Mobley. The Beauty of the Nile podcast is your space for skincare tips, makeup tricks, inspiration, and motivation, especially for and from women of color. We are here to celebrate and highlight our skin's beauty. Love your brown skin. Each episode features a different guest who will be dropping dimes that help you care for and highlight your skin. I'm excited to be here with you. Let's get started. Today, I'm here with Dr. Karen Kaga. Dr. Kaga is a Harvard Cosmetic and Laser Fellow who recently completed her dermatology residency in Southern California, where she served as Chief Resident. She is passionate about redefining beauty standards to be more accepting of all types of beauty. Dr. Kaga, who has also spent time working in the ABC News Medical Unit, believes in the power of media to push this new narrative forward. She wants to create a safe space where everyone feels welcome, seen, and inspired to shine their inner light unapologetically. Dr. Kaga, welcome to the Beauty of the Nile podcast. What sparked your passion for redefining beauty standards? I know that's something really important to you, so I'd love to hear about it. Yeah, well, thanks for asking. I I just feel like historically... Um, not all types of beauty have been celebrated, you know, even amongst other communities, but sometimes even in our own communities, you know, the world kind of has been taught that the darker your skin, the wider your nose, the coarse, you know, more coarse or the kinkier your, um, more coy, how coily your hair is, you know, these terms have not always been synonymous with beauty. And mm-hmm. I've even um, competed, you know, competed in a few pageants. Um, and considered a career in entertainment before pursuing medicine. And I've just found that to be the overarching theme. And I feel like we are making strides in the right direction, but I don't think we've fully arrived yet. So I'm sort of in an interesting position as a physician and seem to be dermatologist and someone who's also going on to do a cosmetic fellowship. Um, You know, I just, I think beauty should be defined by us. We should be able to define that for ourselves. Mm-hmm. So I've sort of made that my life mission. That's a pretty good, pretty good and very big life mission, but I think super important. So I love that. And you said, Thank you know, you. obviously it ties in really well, I think, with your soon-to-be career as a dermatologist and doing a cosmetic fellowship. I'd love for you to talk with us about, you know, when did you know that you wanted to be a dermatologist? How did you decide on that? It sounds like you had a lot of other great things going for you as well. Yeah, well, I I wanted to pursue medicine from a young age. My my parents are Nigerian, mm. um, and they are also in the medical field. So I was exposed mm. pretty early on. I'm the second child of four in my family. So, you know, kind of being the middle child, you don't get everything handed to you, which I actually love because I was able to sort of fly under the radar and <laughs> develop my own sense of purpose and individuality and that grit that you kind of just need to get, you know, get through things. Right. So um, after that initial exposure, I every deliberate step that I took after that was to confirm that I was pursuing medicine for myself. You know, medical careers are highly esteemed and celebrated in Nigerian households. So making sure 
that I wanted to do that for myself and for the right reasons um, mm-hmm. was really important to me. And then once I confirmed that I did want to go into the medical profession, I shadowed a lot of different specialties. And um, dermatology was something that I came across right before I started medical school, actually. Um, I grew up in Marietta, Georgia. It's right outside of Atlanta. And one of my childhood friends uh, mentioned that she had trouble finding a dermatologist who looks like her. Um, She's Mm. a black woman as well. And even just growing up, I've noticed that a lot of people in our communities, um, we didn't really go to the dermatologist. It was almost like we didn't know that there was a doctor that could treat our skin issues or treat our hair issues. And with dermatology being one of the least diverse specialties in medicine, not really surprising to me. So I wanted to be a part of the solution in that regard. And once I sort of exposed myself to the specialty, it was just the perfect intersection of all of my interests. Yeah, that's awesome. And you said something really interesting there. You said that and I've heard this before, that dermatology is one of the least diverse specialties. It seems it seems crazy because it seems like one of the specialties that would, you know, warrant diversity the most. Um, why do you think that is? Like, why do you think it's so uncommon to see dermatologists of color? Yeah, well, I mean, I think there are many reasons. Um, you know, hopefully as a community of dermatologists, we can all sort of take steps to help fix this um, mm-hmm. and make sure that our physician workforce in dermatology is more reflective of the patient population that we're serving. Mm -hmm. Um, I know one of the things a lot of people tell me when I'm mentoring other people who are interested in this specialty is some of them were never exposed to it, childhood or in medical school, and so they didn't even know that that was an attainable goal for them. Um, It's also one of the most competitive specialties to match into requiring really high test scores and research. Having mentors is really important. And, you know, we don't always have to have mentors that look like us, but I think people tend to gravitate gravitate towards, you know, communities that they're more comfortable in. And I think with dermatology already not being super diverse, maybe that, that is part of the reason as well. So there are, there are a lot of different reasons, but um, I think we're all starting to raise awareness for the lack of diversity, and I'm, I'm hopeful that we will move in the right direction soon. Absolutely. I think there's a good community of you guys that I see that's pretty active, and so I think it's great for people to see that. And, of course, there's always, as in many fields, like you said, <laughs> there's always room for to grow, but I thought that was a great perspective you just provided. Exactly. No, I, I agree. Thank you for that. So we talked about this a little bit before we got started because it's very exciting to me, but can you talk about to everyone, what's it like to be a chief dermatology resident? I know that you're finishing up that year of your residency now. Can you share with us what that's like? Yay. Yeah. So um, chief, chief, um, your chief year is typically your last year of your residency, specifically for dermatology. You do your chief year during your last year. So it's mm-hmm. sort of an interesting place to be because you're trying to navigate the end of residency and then also solidify the last few things, you know, that you need to learn in your training experience. But you're also preparing for the next step in your journey. It'll be the, you know, the first after your chief year is the first time you'll be on your own. And so you're sort of working through all of those details and trying to see what you want your career to look like. And then within the chief role, you know, you're still under supervision. So you're learning from everyone, all of your attendings or um, people who are teaching you, taking different pearls from each one and still developing your own style. You know, you're gaining your confidence and um, more autonomy during this time. So it's really nice. Um, But, you know, there are a lot of different tasks 
that you are expected to keep up with during mm-hmm. your chief year. So you're sort of a leader, you know, for the other residents who are earlier on in their training, mm-hmm. takes more responsibility in teaching them and medical students as well. And then for me specifically, one of my biggest chief roles this year has been recruiting speakers for our weekly Grand Rounds series. So typically for our Grand Rounds, we'll invite an expert on a specific topic. Mm. And so I've enjoyed that role because it just kind of forces me to connect with people and to learn from them. And I love learning and I love connecting. So it's been really interesting and I've enjoyed developing all of those different relationships. That's awesome. It seems like kind of like the supreme learning and leadership opportunity. It seems very cool and also challenging. Definitely. <laughs> a lot of work. Exactly. Um, and skills that you'll have, carry with you. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it sounds amazing. If I had any medical training at all, then <laughs> that's something I'd be interested <laughs> in. Um, that's awesome. <laughs> And so can you talk about um, how you become a chief resident? Like, is there an interview process much like getting into school? Like, what's that? What is that like? Yeah, I mean, I think every program um, does it differently. For us specifically, uh, we typically um, do it during our last year. So you don't apply for it separately. It's kind of something Mm. that you um, walk into or you graduate into. And um, for us, it was nice because we were able to split the duties. So I mentioned, you know, one of mine was um, Grand Rounds specifically. Right. Other specialties outside of dermatology, they sometimes do have to apply for the chief role or even do an additional year of residency. So it all just kind of depends on the structure of the program and the specialty. Okay. Okay, cool. Very cool. You know, I kind of want to switch gears back a little bit to what we talked about with, you know, kind of rethinking beauty standards. I want to hear what you think about the role that media can play and does play in our conceptions of beauty, like how we see ourselves, how young girls see themselves. Yeah, definitely. I think media is um, a very powerful tool that we have, and it's always been something that I've been interested in and hopefully something that I can do more of, um, you know, as my career develops. But I think one of the most powerful tools. Let's just take a quick break here. Since you're listening, I want to make sure you have access to all of the great Beauty of the Nile content. Make sure you're subscribed to the Beauty of the Nile newsletter. Of course it's free. Just head on over to beautyofthenile.com. You'll find a form where you can subscribe. It's very quick and easy. You can do it now. We'll be right here when you get back. Enjoy. Mm-hmm. I think the media in a lot of ways, um, you know, shapes our narratives, you know, especially mm-hmm. when we're trying to redefine things or rewrite or move forward in a certain um, area in, in life. So, um, you know, that's what I'm trying to do from a, a physician standpoint, bridging evidence-based scientific medicine with our beauty and our culture. And I think uh, media is going to continue to have a big role in that. Right, right. So really like using it as a vehicle, using it as a tool in a positive way to help tell our stories and share your voice and, you know, put a face to to all the work that that you're doing. Exactly. I like that a lot. I think that's very powerful. And I think that's kind of one of the ways that you can really make make true change right it's for people to see you and hear you and um you know get to get to get to know you exactly I mean I think it's also you know amplifying the right voices and being visible because as as you mentioned especially for our younger children and Mm -hmm. our younger population 
um, you know, they're going to be watching things in the media anyways. And so mm-hmm. I think vehicles like the one that we're using today are going to be very important in terms of making sure they're seeing things that inspire them to be them, their best selves as well. Absolutely. I mean, yeah, we talked before this, but that's, you know, one of the reasons why I wanted to create the Beauty of the Nile podcast because I was like, when I was younger, I felt like there weren't a lot of places you could go. And if there are women who look like you talking about things that affect you and specifically you, you know, because everybody's skin is different. And then also when you add skin skin tone, as we talked about having a skin of color, you know, a lot of the information, and like you said, in the media that we're getting is not catered towards, towards us or coming from someone like you. So I think it's super powerful, like you said, to share your voice. So I love, I love seeing it and love following you. Oh, thank you. <laughs> you talked about your residency and you talked about the really fun parts and also that it can be, can be challenging. Do you remember like a most challenging day as a, as a resident and maybe why it was so challenging? Yeah, so I will tell you, um, residency is challenging, period. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. There are there are many challenging days. It's kind of a long journey. Um, you're learning a lot at one time, so it's kind of a high volume of information, and you're trying to navigate kind of where you sit in all of that while developing your own style and working with new teams that you've never worked with before. I think for me, um, you know, one of the most challenging times is when you're on call or when you're on the mm. consult service. So for dermatologists, a lot of our, what we do is an outpatient clinic. And so we um, see patients kind of in an outpatient setting, but we also have an in-service or an inpatient service um, where we see sicker patients who are in the mm. hospital. And so we actually have to go to the hospital to see them there. So um, when you're on call as a resident, you carry a pager. And so it's a little bit um, unpredictable in terms of timing and when you can get called in. And so naturally, you know, one of the more difficult or challenging times for me is getting called in in the middle of the night to roll out one of our few dermatologic emergencies, which is Stevens-Johnson syndrome. And that's basically a life-threatening reaction to a medication that requires immediate diagnosis. So if you get called for that, you have to go in. (laughs) Right. Um, So, yeah, um, you know, the cases are interesting and they're definitely great learning opportunities, but you definitely have less control over your schedule. And so naturally that's just more challenging. But I think overall, one of the biggest lessons that I have learned is, um, you know, just to always carry yourself with grace at all times. You know, you're, you're working with new teams every day. You're meeting new people every day. And people aren't always going to respond to you in the way that you expect. And not everyone is going to be your biggest fan or, you know, the person that uplifts you the most. And sometimes it, it surprises you where it comes from. I think um, there's definitely been a lot of teachable moments. I think one of the things that um, is underestimated in medical training is just knowing how to properly um, interact, having mm. appropriate social skills, knowing how to resolve conflict in a peaceful and respectful way. Those are some of the biggest life lessons that I've also taken with me um, in addition to my medical, my medical knowledge. Wow. That's really, I mean, it is, those are really great life lessons. I wouldn't have even have thought about conflict resolution, you know, if I would have predicted what you were going to say to answer that question, but that's, I know. <laughs> but well, now that you say it, I'm just imagining the potentially crazy scenarios that you've experienced. So, wow, that is very interesting. Yeah. Okay. I mean, I think it's, it's not something that people think about either, um, you know, when starting 
uh, residency or take, you know, we, we're so used to studying for tests and <laughs> right. studying the book and learning how to take care of people. But being a doctor is more than just knowing every line in the book. You know, you have to be able to interact with your patients and your colleagues and different um, specialties and people who may consult you. Those interpersonal skills really come in handy. And I think it makes a huge difference in the type of physician that we train to be. I think that's a really, really good point I, and applies probably to a lot of different academic fields. So if anybody's listening, you know, like what you learn in the book, sometimes when you get in or oftentimes when you get in the real world, it ends up being a lot different. So I think that's exactly. a really good perspective. And now I'd love to ask, where do you see your career as a dermatologist taking you in the next five or ten years? Yeah, well, um, you know, I'm still kind of teasing that out, but from what I can see now, I see my next years as a dermatologist, um, spending them helping my patients, connecting mm-hmm. with them on a, you know, a one-on-one basis. And mm-hmm. in our clinic visits, I may just be treating their hair, skin, and nails in that moment, but through that, you know, I'm affecting quality of life and I'm affecting something which are things that are very important that people, you know, take with them when they leave your office in addition to the medical treatment that that you've given them. And then, as I mentioned, you know, I will be doing a cosmetic fellowship in the next year to sort of further enhance my skills, still from a research perspective, to hopefully help solve problems and fill the gap as it relates to um, unsolved issues in um, health and beauty and, you know, things that we haven't figured out yet. So, I'm excited to contribute to the field and our community in that way, and hope, I'm hopeful that a lot will come from that. And, it, you know, in terms of the 10 years, I think there's still some details that, that I'll um, tease out, but I'm hoping, um, you know, my medical career is kind of my foundation to, you know, create safe spaces for people mm-hmm. that have felt marginalized and, as I said, you know, kind of be a positive force in the media, and then also just contributing to, you know, the research build and um, things that will help um, my patients that we don't have a solution for yet. So I'm looking yeah. forward to it. I think the future is bright and um, I'm excited for everything God has for me. Yeah, those are a lot of great, great plans for your next five or 10 years. And I'm excited to, to see you do it. It's really, that's, that's awesome. And I think what you're doing and like you said, wanting to be visible and uh, heard is super important. So I can't wait to, to stay tuned and see what happens. Thank you. Me too. <laughs> yeah. Along for the ride. <laughs> yeah. Along for the ride. Uh, okay. Let me get to the next question. This is all super great. What has been, and this is more like what your day-to-day kind of in the field, <laughs> what's been the most surprising mm-hmm. skin condition that you've come across when examining a woman of color patient? I know like some skin conditions can present differently on different skin tones. So I'm curious. Yeah, well, I mean, I think for me, um, going into dermatology and also throughout my training, one of the things that has surprised me is the sheer number of women who struggle with hair loss. Um, you know, I think that's been kind of heartbreaking to see because we haven't always had these messages amplified. And so you see a lot of women coming in after years and years of hair loss. And it's just so unfortunate because as dermatologists, we do have, you know, the tools available and the training um, to treat hair loss. 
we are better equipped to treat it earlier on in its sort of, you know, history of hair loss. The earlier you can present to a dermatologist, the better equipped they are going to be to be able to help you. Right. So I think that's one of the things that has surprised me is, um, you know, just seeing the amount of women who are have been affected by this and um, just the delay in presentation to the physician for help. You know, because our our, our hair is, uh, it's, you know, it's our crown. It's one of our forms yeah. of expression. It's, you know, we express our culture and our style and our beauty through it. And so I think it's more than just looks, you know, from kind of a vain perspective. It's affecting our quality of life and the way that we feel about ourselves. And it's really important. So, you know, and there's so many other conditions that present on the skin that look different in um, skin of color, which is a whole nother one hour lecture. But um, I would say that's definitely (laughs) something that has surprised me over the years. And um, hopefully, you know, we can get the word out to our communities that we can help. And we do have, you know, uh, dermatologists who are trained in this area to to be able to help. It sounds like a lot of times people are coming to you super late, you know, maybe not knowing or being ashamed or whatever. And I and I know through conversations I've heard that a lot of people won't even think to come to their dermatologist for hair issues. They'll talk to their hairdresser or whatever. So when you do actually finally, you know, see a patient who's suffering from hair loss, what sort of treatments are you able to recommend at that point? Yeah, well, it largely depends on the type of hair loss, um, which is mm-hmm. a, another hour lecture. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but, um, <laughs> you know, we when they come to us, the first thing first is we take a history, you know, we get the full story on it, and we do a full evaluation of the scalp. Mm-hmm. You know, sometimes we may even take it a step further and do um, a small biopsy of the scalp to see if we can get a little bit more information under the microscope or even looking at the hair strands itself or seeing, you know, is it is it inflamed? Is there some redness? You know, do you have a family history? All of these things we sort of ask and we're looking for to get a better picture of what we're treating. And then depending on the type of hair loss we see, um, you know, there's sometimes some in, um anti-inflammatory topical medications or um, injections or even oral medications that we may need to start in order to help, you know, start treating treating those, um, those areas of hair loss. So, you know, as you mentioned, in our community, we go to our hairstylist and they also play a, a, a big part in it because a lot of times they may catch things earlier. And so educating our hairstylists is also important for us from a dermatologist's perspective because then they can kind of be our eyes in the community and direct patients and we can work together to make sure we're fully treating, you know, every in every way that the patient needs. So it's a multifactorial process and multifactorial kind of etiology that contributes to different types of hair loss. Um, so I think that's even the more reason why if people are noticing that, they need to make sure to schedule an appointment. Okay, awesome. And so it sounds like in preventing and in treating hair loss in, in women of color, I think like it sounds like teamwork is a good, like, you know, come to you first if you're having a problem, you know, working with the hairstylist, everybody kind of working together to to help see, see, this, see this early and solve it. Exactly. Time is money when it comes to our hair follicles. Right. So I always right. I always say that. 
Okay, that's a great that's a great message for everyone everyone <laughs> listening. What have been some of your own personal skincare struggles, maybe presently or in the past? Yeah, um, I would say acne. Um, mm-hmm. Acne is is something that's very common um, in our communities. Um, kind of just across the board, particularly with skin of color, one of the biggest complaints that I've had myself and then I also get from my patients is acne and then also the post-inflammatory hyperpigmentation or the dark spots that come yeah. from that inflammation that was previously in the skin. So mm-hmm. as I mentioned, I didn't, I never went to a dermatologist until I was pursuing dermatology as a career because it was <laughs> just not something that we really thought we needed to do um so you know I it was at that point where I realized okay you don't have to stick with it you know you don't have to stick with acne there are things that we can do to treat it I want to make sure you have access to all of the great beauty of the Nile content make sure you're subscribed to the beauty of the Nile newsletter of course it's free just head on over to beautyofthenile.com You'll find a form where you can subscribe. It's very quick and easy. You can do it now. We'll be right here when you get back. Enjoy. That's definitely something that I have improved on. And now I do have a great regimen for myself with my cleanser, you know, my topical acne medication, my topical retinoids, um, even chemical peels help, antioxidants help, pigment correcting um, serums and other topical medications help as well. You know, I think that I, I am kind of a testament to what happens a lot in our communities is that we think that we have to fix it on our own because, you know, we're just not exposed to it and we're not aware. So it's, it's, been, it's been a good skin journey, and I, I know it has um, helped me a lot in my confidence and self-esteem, mm-hmm. and I hope to be able to do the same for many more patients to come. I love that. Thank you for being so open about that. I I can definitely relate, and I'm glad to hear. I'm like checking off my head. I use the same sort of products that you're using in my routine, so I'm like, okay, maybe I'm doing Yay. something right. So I'm like, check, mental checklist, and and my SPF that I know sometimes yes. we don't think we have to wear, but we do. Yes, exactly. <laughs> yes, that was also something that I was not fully aware of until maybe medical school. Um, but no, it's definitely very important, um, both for hyper um, or dispigmentation in the skin, pigmentary issues, um, but also anti-aging and just protection from, you know, dam- sun damage. Those are all definitely very important things. And these are kind of all broad categories for different skincare products. Right. Um, but there are different nuances in terms of um, the specific medication, the strength, and, um, you know, the different combination of topicals. So that's definitely something that a dermatologist can help you out with if you haven't quite figured it out on your own as well. This may be a question that, you know, this may be a little hard for you to only pick pick a couple, but what have been your biggest accomplishments and why? Because from what I hear, there are quite a few. Quite a few so what do you think have been your biggest <laughs> Well, I am graduating uh, really yes. soon from yeah, uh, my dermatology residency. So I think what that's four years, four years, four years. So 12 years uh, mm, after wow. college <laughs> with no break. So, yeah. so definitely uh, one of the biggest accomplishments. But I think um, for me, it's been balancing things that are important to me mm. while becoming a doctor. 
So, you know, as I've mentioned, I've devoted a lot of years to this. Pretty much my whole life I've been in training up until right. this point. But I think um, the most important accomplishment in addition to this is doing all of this without losing myself in it. Yeah. Um, I think that medical training is set up in a way that requires a lot of you. Mm -hmm. um, and I have seen a lot of residents sort of um, kind of spiral, you know, spiral out of control yeah. or um, just kind of lose a handle on themselves and kind of who they are at the core. I think I would say I have rebelled against the medical training <laughs> in that way that. because <laughs> because that's been something that's really important to me. Um, I think mm -hmm. balancing and having a life and also, um, you know, still keeping your values and the things mm -hmm. that are that that kind of keep you going um, make you a better physician. And so that's something that I've definitely tried to do and have been really intentional about. And um, even though, you know, I haven't been able to fully indulge in that in the way that I would have liked, because, you know, obviously you're still limited by time right. um, when you're, you're so busy with your training, but um, I've held on to that, you know, those pieces of need that are important. And I'm looking forward to um, further, you know, developing and further devoting time to that now that I'm finished, something that I'm I'm most proud of. I think that's something to be really proud of, right? Because like, I feel like we go through life and we have all these goals and things that we want to do and it, people we want to help and impact we want to make, which is important. But you're right, like if you're not happy, if you're not feeling balanced and whole, then it doesn't really matter. So I think that's a really great perspective. Exactly. Especially coming from exactly. you because then people can hear like, oh, you know, you can accomplish all of these things and also not lose yourself entirely. Kind of switching gears, what does being a woman of color and having skin of color mean to you? Yeah, well, I mean, I think um, being a woman is hard mm -hmm. um, by itself. Being black is hard. Being black is hard. Being a black woman is really hard, you know, especially in corporate settings or, um, you know, settings that aren't always the most diverse, you know, being a black woman means that a lot of times you're the only one in the room. You know, that's something that's kind of become normalized. I've I've been used to it um, since elementary school, um, you know, since the uh, special classes that I was in or whether it's yeah. international baccalaureate program in high school um, and then college, medical school, and then, as I mentioned, dermatology still being one of the least diverse specialties. So, you know, I think it's also balancing a lot. A lot of times as women, we're pulled in a lot of different directions. We're, so we're often taking care of people. We have a complex history. So it's difficult, but there are a lot of beautiful nuances as well. And even with everything that comes with the experience, I definitely still love the skin that I'm in and I wouldn't trade it for anything. Um, but I also acknowledge that it comes with a lot. And so that's why I'm so passionate about spaces like this and telling our stories and reaching back and pulling someone else forward because, you know, it's our duty. It's our duty to, to do that as a woman of color, as a black woman, as a Nigerian American woman. We have, you know, a lot on our plate, but, you know, I'm hopeful because we are strong, we're powerful, we're intelligent, deserving of love and understanding, and we always overcome, you know, no matter what's thrown in our direction. So 
being a black woman means all of those things to me. That's a, <laughs> that's a very good, a very good answer. That's a very good answer. Um, that's amazing. And I think what you said about, you know, pulling people up and lifting people up is one of the most powerful things that we can do, um, you know, for ourselves and to continue to celebrate us. So I think that is, is a great message. So that kind of, you know, I feel like I have a sense of, of you and your, you know, the way that you live your life, but maybe this will be helpful to people who are listening. I think it will. What are, what are some words of wisdom that you live by? And maybe like when you've had some tough days um, or just things that you continually think about as you're going through life. There are so many, um, you know, I, I try to kind of read and stay up on my different um, kind of things that encourage me throughout life, which can be hard mm-hmm. to do because, again, you're so busy studying and trying to stay up on that material. But one of the things that I've just been reading a lot lately, I've been reading a lot of Tony uh, Morrison quotes. Mm-hmm. And one of the ones that she has had, and one of her greatest quotes, I think, is um, she says, if there's a book you want to write, but it hasn't been written yet, then you must write it. And I think for me, it's just a good reminder to go for it. Um, I think sometimes we can kind of forget, you know, especially being in the corporate setting or just trying to survive our day-to-day and fear and naysayers and doubt starts to creep in. Kind of forget that scrappy girl who figured it out before and Mm. made all of those connections in the beginning and took chances, you know, on herself. And so for me, that quote is, a good reminder to not forget that girl, you know, that scrappy girl, bring her back out. And as we've been discussing throughout this conversation, you know, don't let other people define your story for you, mm-hmm. write it and define it for yourself, you know, believe in yourself, ask, um, you know, reach out, make connections like you and I are doing mm-hmm. and then do the work, um, you know, do the work, especially if there's a, a work that you want to see that hasn't been done yet. So that's kind of what I'm focusing on right now. I love that one. We're Um, on the same wavelength. Yeah, we're on the same page. This has been like such a fun conversation. What's one big thing, and it can be personal or professional, that you've learned that you wish you'd known before you started on your journey? And that can be like your life journey, your journey, you know, as a physician. Yeah, um, I think I've probably... Maybe I've learned this before, but I'm having to relearn it, and it's always a good reminder. But um, just learning to ask for what you want um, and be specific about it. A lot of times we're afraid to speak up because we don't want to be judged or we don't want to be marked as too aggressive or too angry or too pushy, you know, other things that we have to think about as Black women. But I would say do it anyway, you know, ask for what you want and be specific because, you know, you might get just that. Right. um, I think if you don't try, then, then you'll never know. And I think this is kind of a good lesson to keep throughout life. And, you know, especially because you never fully arrive, you know, there's, there's always something next. Life is a journey. You never are at your final destination, you know, once you complete one thing, um, there is a new mountain, right. new hills and, you know, obstacles for you to climb and figure out. So um, right. I think that's something that I wish I um, 
kind of always kept in mind. I had mm-hmm. always kept it in mind. And so I'm trying to hold myself accountable to ask for what you want and be specific and expect to get it. And, yeah. you know, if it doesn't happen in the way that you imagined, well, you're just where you were if you didn't ask anyways. That's true. Thank you for sharing that. Of course. What does being a part of the Beauty of the Nile community mean to you? Well, um, I think especially now um, more than ever, I think we're kind of in the middle of a um, a live revolution, at least Mm -hmm. I hope, (laughs) you know, um, so now the time to demand change. Um, It's time for us to take up space as ourselves. Um, and I think that's what this community means to me. You know, mm-hmm. it feels like home, you know, because again, you know, a lot of the structures and um, different corporate environments, they haven't always been created in the way that's set up for us to thrive. I think just showing up as ourselves and taking up space is so important right now. Um, it takes a lot of courage. Um, but when you're home, you don't have to perform, you know, you can let your guard down and Mm. you can just be, and this community, I think aligns so well with that. And it's one of my biggest heart desires to also create for other people, especially Mm -hmm. groups that have been marginalized and have not always been celebrated. Um, I think there's no better time for a community um, like this than than now. And so I'm happy to be a part of this community, and I'm looking forward for us to continue growing as a community. Yeah, I, I think the time is now, and I'm I'm excited to be here. <laughs> well, thank you. Thank you for being here. And I love what you said about taking up space for ourselves and using it as a really, like, positive space to come together and be sort of like a place for positive discussion and uplifting each other through a love of our skin. So it's been really awesome to talk to you and um, get to know you like this. And I've learned a lot on a, from, you know, a skincare level and also on a life level. So just thank you. Thank you for sharing and being here with me today. Well, definitely. Thank you so much for having me. Definitely keep doing what you're doing. You know, we have, a duty to take up space and to uplift each other and to bring others along. And um, I'm just looking forward to what their future holds. I hope you all have had as much fun with this conversation as I have. I loved hearing about Dr. Kaga's plans to help redefine traditional beauty standards and the emphasis she put on believing in yourself, creating and making space for what you believe in. I couldn't agree more. I'm excited to continue to elevate our voices and highlight the knowledge of women of color skincare experts. I know I learned a lot of great info today that I'll put into practice right away. I hope you will too. This is Jasmine Mobley, and you've been listening to the Beauty of the Nile podcast. Beauty of the Nile is your space for skin tips, makeup tricks, inspiration, and motivation. We are here to celebrate and highlight our skin's beauty. Say it with me. Love your brown skin. Be sure you catch the next episode's amazing guests who will be dropping gems for fabulous beauty inspiration, especially for brown skin. Get our free newsletter subscription at beautyofthenile.com. We cannot wait to connect and share with you. Until next time, enjoy life.